it was super inspiring and, and super amazing to be able to see this one guy on stage controlling 2,000 people, all very intensely paying attention. And he's a spoken, he's not only a hip hop artist, but he's a, he's a spoken word poet. So it's not just the music, it's his, it's him and his performing abilities. And I was like, dick, like, how do we, how do I do more of this? Like, how do our events <laughs> with our 75 people and no sound guy and no mics, how do we get to this level? And so I left, left that night and I was like, this is, this is it. Welcome to You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast with Steve Carroll and JP Camara, where we speak with people whose lives were transformed by trying something new. We're here today at Level Exchange, which is a music and co-working space in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And joining us is Level Exchange's founder, Lindsay Lerner. So Lindsay, how did this all begin? My freshman year of school, I was a photography student at the Delaware College of Art and Design and Pratt Institute. And when I was at art school, I was like, yeah, uh, I don't want to be a fine artist my entire life from the time I was six until I was, you know, 18, 19. I was like, I'm going to be a photographer. I'm going to work for National Geographic. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to meet people. This is going to be great. And then I got to art school and I was like, yeah, no, this is not not what's happening. So what happened? Well, I started, our instructor was like, oh, this was like the first week of school. And he was like, oh, go out and shoot whatever you want. And I was like, sweet, this is going to be awesome. And I really, really loved taking portraits of people. That's something that I had done when I worked at newspapers and portrait studios. And I worked at Life Touch and Target and JCPenney. And oh, all, man. And all oh really? Yeah. So you did like the family photos oh, yeah. and like, oh, yeah. Oh, I that really... was the best. Those are the, the greatest. <laughs> My wife did that for a little while. It was, uh... it was trash. Yeah, it's garbage. <laughs> it she hated so it so bad. much. <laughs> it's it a pretty, pretty terrible experience. Yeah. Learned a ton. Yeah. But as a job, not ideal. Uh, so yeah, during freshman year, he was like, yeah, it's the first couple weeks of school. This was the first time a lot of us had used fully manual film, black and white film cameras. So I was like, oh, okay. Like he wants us to go out and shoot something that we're comfortable with. So I was more comfortable with people. So I was like, this will be great. So I went out with myself and I think two other girls in my photo class, every single person we asked. And I didn't realize how like bad at the time Wilmington, Delaware was. I had, I'm from here. I'm like, I'm whatever. Everything's great. I go down there where every single person we asked was like, absolutely not. You can't take my picture. You know, like, oh man, wow. not, not a shot in hell. Are you the police? I was like, what? Like, <laughs> this is crazy. I'm undercover. Yeah. Your photo. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> obviously. And so right when we were about to give up and be like, oh, whatever, like we'll, we'll attempt to shoot t- tomorrow or we'll just take pictures of each other, like whatever. And this kid comes around the corner and he was like, yo, yo, ladies, want to take my picture? And I was like, finally, someone wants us to take their picture. This is great. And so I like turned around, had my camera and he is this super, super tall kid. He comes over and he's like, sup? I was like, what's up, dude? And so I, not knowing what I was doing, it was freezing. I can barely control everything on on the camera and i was adjusting everything and i raised the camera up and i like had him in frame i was like oh this is great took the first picture started lowering the camera the two girls that i was with were were behind me lowered the camera and was making adjustments to take another shot and as i raised the camera back up i could see movement out of frame 
And I was like, this, I don't know if this feels right. And then when I like went to zoom out and I went to take the photo, he lifted up his shirt and he had two pistols on his boxers. Jeez. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you are, <laughs> you are not in Warwick, Rhode Island anymore. <laughs> like, okay. And so I took the picture because I was like, well, I mean, if this is, if this is going to be it, like there's got to be some cool evidence of this. And so I took the picture and then I put my camera down and he looked at me and he was like, yeah. It's <laughs> like, I'm gonna go. Yeah. Cool. And I remember he like gave me daps. And then I turned around and the girls I was with, gone. Like, <laughs> oh, they ran. Oh, man. Oh, my God. And so I was like, okay. And so I just very calmly, surprisingly calmly walked away. Mm. And then when I got around the corner where I knew they couldn't see me, ran so fast. Yeah. Oh, my God. Back, back to my dorm. And I remember I called my dad and I was like, Dad, oh, my God, this is happening. And he was like, excuse me, what? I was like, dude, yeah, I know, like, you're freaked out about this, but the whole point of this, the concern right now, is the fact that some kid was, like, 16. Why Why does he have two guns? This is crazy. Why is this happening? And right. he was like, Lindsay, that's not the point right now. And I was like, but it is the point. Yeah. <laughs> and so oh I went to my photo instructor, I remember, and I was like, Ron, you will never believe what just happened. This was the – and he was like – why the same reaction he was like he was like you took the wrong lesson <laughs> one took the wrong lesson away, but two also brought like this whole definition to going out shooting and yeah. i was like oh, yeah. oh, oh <laughs> i get this now right. and from that moment i was just like this is this is insane and it became way more about the art of photography for me and way more about the people and way more about the stories and so then i started diving into a bunch of the people that were in in the area a lot of them happened to be homeless i was going into chinatown in philly and meeting all of the homeless people that were there and because i had no idea what the hell i was doing with my fully manual camera and couldn't function and every single time i approached someone obviously people are busy and they're moving they're doing things and they're going a million miles an hour when you stop someone and you're like, hey, can I take your picture? They're like, what the hell? Like, why do you want to do that? But I mean, the homeless people didn't have anything else to do. And so they would sit and they were very patient and they would talk to me and they would tell me their stories and they would let me practice and take their portraits. And through that, I got super, super interested in who, what, when, where, how, why. And it became, like I said, more about the people, less about the art. And there was also, there's a bunch of family stuff going on and I ended up having to come back to Rhode Island. And I was like, I'm not going to URI. I'm not going to Rick. I don't want to do the whole high school all over thing. I left because everyone wants to leave Rhode Island and then everyone somehow ends, ends yeah, up coming it's back. A boomerang, boomerang state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I came back and I ended up at Bryant of all places, which is the exact opposite of art mm, school. Mm. And at art school, I was a weird nerdy kid because I loved all of my academic classes. And then I got to Bryant and I was the weird artsy kid. Mm. And I was like, you guys don't even know. You have no idea what goes on there. Yeah. But at Bryant, it was, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a perfect fit. It ended up working out and I learned, learned a ton. But when I got there, I was like, this is insane. Like, and Bryant's known for being a business school. Yeah. Right? They've That's been a business school for 150 <clears throat> years. Whoa. They've only had a college of arts and science for the past like, 12 years or so. And so I studied global studies with a concentration in cultural interaction, which is Bryant's fancy way of saying anthropology. anthropology. And, so, <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone automatically assumes, especially now having the business and having the company, people are like, oh, you went to Bryant, this makes sense. And then if they actually take the time to inquire, they're like, oh, what did you study? Anthropology. And they're like, what? The yeah. Oh. Like, that's a weird way of spelling MBA. Right? I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. So 
all of that to tell you that junior year when I was study, studying abroad, the whole purpose of, of going down there was I was working with my anthropology professor and the whole point was to get more of my cultural interaction mm. courses done. And I had full intentions of doing this extensive photo project. And when I came back, I was going to start working on my PhD for anthro. I was going to work at uh, work with him on his nonprofit in Tanzania and I was it was going to be great. Yeah. And that's totally not what happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went to Chile not I I didn't know how to speak Spanish at all. And so when I got down there, uh, fortunately this other kid who was in my same study abroad group, he also didn't speak Spanish. So him and I best buds oh real God. fast. Seems like maybe the worst people to be friends <laughs> probably, with. Probably. Like the two kids you might want to don't pair know up Spanish <laughs> pairing up in Chile. <laughs> yeah. You'll never guess what happens next. <laughs> Did we learn Spanish? No, we didn't. Not really. No yo say. Yeah, right? So, but while we were down there, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And so he was a hip hop artist and somehow... The student who went with you? Yeah, yeah. Somehow between the two of us, our combined knowledge of Ola and me walking around with a really, really aggressive looking camera, mm. booked him a bunch of shows and events while we were down in Chile. Why? This is cool as hell. We're getting free food. We're so, getting free drinks. We're getting paid. We're like, we're fake rock stars. Let's go. So were you were like you a school? pretend promoter? Was it like, how did... Fake it, I really learned, really, really, really learned what fake it till you make it means yeah. during that semester. Oh my God. So then when we came back, I definitely, I can understand Spanish significantly better than when I went down there. Still working on it. But when we came back to the U.S., just the cultural differences of when we were down there, like I said, free food, free drinks, paid. Everyone loved, respected the arts. They loved music. They would show up to shows. They wanted to be there. And then when we came back here, Phil was like, oh, you should totally be my manager and it'll be great. You're organized. And I was like, yeah, I can do that <laughs> because <laughs> that makes sense. And yeah. so he lived out in Cincinnati. And so I was calling all these places and I was like, yeah, I've got this really dope hip-hop artist can we use your venue can we rent out your space can we do a show together like what do we have to do and i was just th my eyes were open to this whole really mm. negative pay-to-play structure of the music industry and i was like yeah that, does, that doesn't make any sense and i remember asking phil i was like is this like a thing he was like yeah it's fine like we do it all the time and i was like that seems seems kind of dumb why yeah. like why you're you're the performer you're bringing value and you're paying them right. to that's you there. fill the seats and they sell the tickets. Like, why did, why yeah. did you have to pay? And I was like, yeah. this is crazy. So I got really pissed off and started talking to musicians here in Rhode Island. And it was the same thing. Everyone mm. was like, oh, well, I got screwed over by this person. And I got screwed over by this person. And oh, I had man. to do this. And I was like, huh. Okay. So a little bit of this is like, you guys are letting this happen. Mm, a little sure. bit of it is education. And a little bit of it is because the system and the industry is is pretty screwed up. And how do we fix that? So I started booking shows and events in Providence. The first mm. one was, oh man, it was seven bands ranging in genres from Taylor Swift to Biggie. Yeah. And <laughs> the perfect show. Yes. Perfect show. Sounds like it actually. <laughs> from just those two things. It sounds Biggie like something Swift. I'd be into. <laughs> Oh yeah, Taylor Smalls. So, so bad. There was, yeah, seven bands, seven bands, and they all got there. And I was like, yeah, this is great. And they all got there, and they were like, cool. So sound check. And I was like, you guys are the musicians, so you guys have the stuff. You're gonna do the thing. I did my job. 
You're I got you here. <laughs> what and was the venue? Oh, it's not even open. Oh, okay. <laughs> All my fault. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one show that ruined the, the last That's show great. they ever had. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but it was really bad. Seven bands, no sound guy. Rocked it. 75 people showed up, which was awesome. That's great. But it was definitely, it was an adventure. Learned a ton. Took a lot of notes that night. Don't remember. Sound guy. Dude, got it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, from then on, we had a sound guy and microphones. Um, not the first one. <laughs> it's, it's gotten a little bit better since then. So after that, what happened after that? That was still like junior, senior year of college. That was all happening in your junior, senior year? Yeah, this year. was junior oh. year. Yeah, this wow. was junior year. And then <laughs> in that moment, I was like, oh, maybe you should talk to someone who's involved in the music industry because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> In my brain, I was like, we got this. Not the case. So, yeah, junior year, uh, end of junior year, I think this was like maybe going into senior year, uh, I had reached out to, I was a huge fan of this hip-hop artist, spoken word poet named Watsky, and I had reached out, I found his manager's email somewhere online, and made the very wrong assumption that since Watsky was like in his early 20s at the time or like mid mid 20s at the time that since he was some young cool dude that his manager was probably like his college roommate or something right. and you know they got lucky and he's crushing it he was just on Ellen like he's doing really well he's going on tour they're playing House of Blues in a couple of months like I'm going to email him I'm going to I'm going to tell them that I do photography that'll be my foot in the door and then we'll we'll be best friends and he'll tell me everything he knows it's going to be great was the thought process. <laughs> so I emailed him and I explained that. I was like, hey, I'm a college kid. I do a bunch of photography stuff. Here's my portfolio. Like, when can I come and hang out? Are you going to be at the show? When can we best be best friends? Let me know. Cool. And he didn't answer. And so then I emailed him again and he didn't answer. And so then I emailed him again. And I'm not going to disclose how many times I emailed him. But about a month later, I got a very angry phone call. And he said, he says, Lindsay, he said, uh-huh. And he said, he said, this is Kevin Morrow, Watsky's manager. I said, oh. <laughs> he said, like, clear as day. Can we swear on this? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. He said, what the f*** do you want? <laughs> I was just like, who is this man? Why is he yelling at me? Like, yeah. oh man. Like, Assuming he was not as young as you thought he was. Good. Oh no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was just, he was straight. He, he said, he was like, what the f*** do you want? So I was like, well, I saw you guys were coming to House of Blues and I was wondering, can I take pictures? And I'm super nervous. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God, like what did I just do? And so he stops me and he goes on this hour long, like monologue essentially about, he's not some young guy. Oh. He's like 65. Oh, jeez. He was one of the original. So he's like three young guys. Oh, yeah. And he was one of the original guys that was um, head of touring for House of Blues way back oh, when wow. they first started. He was president of Live Nation. He now has his own entertainment company. And basically, like, <laughs> who do you think you are? And I was like, oh, man. Okay. And he's telling me all these stories and like reminiscing about how, oh, well, I missed out on my chance with Gwen Stefani. Like I could have signed her. And when I went to Eric Clapton's birthday party and I was like, are you, I gotta, I don't know how to handle this right now. It sounded though like the conversation he had with you is exactly the kind of catharsis that he needed to have. Like he needed to tell somebody his story. You opened the door. I hope so. So 
after that, um, and then I asked him, I was like, so you're not going to be at the show? <laughs> and he was like, who do you think? I, do you think so? Like, no, I don't go on the road with them. Like, <laughs> get the hell out of here. And I was like, oh, okay. And then before he hung up, he was like, but if you're ever in LA, let me know. And in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, like 19 year old, 20 year old, like baby Lynn. I go to LA all the time. <laughs> but I've never even been to California, but yeah, I will see you there. And so then I was in, that was over the summer. That was probably like August or so of 2014. And then that November was the Watsky show at House of Blues. And I remember I got there stupid early, like one o'clock in the afternoon. The show's at like 8 p.m. <laughs> and I was like, I brought my camera. I was like, I'm taking pictures at this show. If it kills me, this is what's happening. <laughs> so he hadn't given you like an actual door into it. You just bought tickets and you're like, I'm going to take oh, I pictures. Yeah, I had tickets. And yeah. I was like, but like, I'm going anyway. So sure. I'm going to end the, oh man, my, the girl I was dating at the time. Oh, I, embarrassing now that i'm thinking about this but i dragged her with me of course and so i got there it's super early we're eating lunch and i had texted the number that he had called me from hoping that it was a cell phone i was like hey kevin i'm really bummed that you're not at the show tonight because it would have been super cool if we could have hung out and it would have been great to pick your brain bummed that you're not here so cool <laughs> and obviously he didn't answer yeah. how had you gotten his number he when he had, he had called me so I like scrolled back. Right. What a fool. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> you're like, I have you now. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is going to be great. So then, yeah, that was at like 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. I was like, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't answer. So then it's like 4 o'clock. Right, because it's also three hours earlier oh, in yeah. California where he is. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So it's like 4 o'clock now. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know. Maybe we should just like go grab dinner or something like that. Right. And then I'll go and we'll... I don't know, we'll just go in general admission and it'll be fine. But then as we were walking by, I don't know if you guys have been to House of Blues Boston, on the outside, the walls, they're painted like murals. They don't really look like doors, but one of them was cracked open like just a little bit. And I heard music. I was like, hmm. So I like peeked my head in. I was like, oh, I felt like a 12-year-old at like a Justin Bieber concert. Right. Watsky was on stage. He was sound checking. I was like, oh, my God. And I remember I turned around and I like looked at my, my girlfriend at the time and I was like, yo, we are going in there right now. And <laughs> she was like, yeah, we're not doing that. And I was like, yeah, but we are. And I grabbed her arm and I was like, oh, let's go. And I like, I threw myself through the door, dragged her with me. And this very, very large man <laughs> comes out. immediately, And he was like. Sup? I was like, sup? He's like, you coming in? I was like, yeah. And I think it's honestly just because like I had the camera bag and I really walked right. very aggressively. <laughs> and so then I'm standing in the middle of House of Blues, Watsky and the band are sound checking, and I'm just like, I don't know. Um, okay, yep, we're here. And now I d I don't know what to do. The only man who even knows I exist that has anything to do with this crew is three thousand miles away. <laughs> This is going to end very poorly. And so I took out my phone to pretend that I knew what I was doing because that's what people who know what they're doing do. And I was looking at the phone and Kevin texted me back. And he said, last minute, I ended up in New York. So I was on the East Coast. I decided to come to the show tonight. Let me know when you get here. And I might introduce you to our photographer because he still thinks I'm trying to take photos. Tonight. Steve and I have both have stunned faces I, right now. I, I, like, I have goosebumps right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. So I was like, I take. <laughs> I think I still have the text. I texted it back. I said, "Okay, cool. I'm at sound check." <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh man. So then, you know, how did he respond to that? Just no. So five minutes later, this, you know, this older man (laughs) comes out and he taps me on the shoulder. He said, are you Lindsay? I turned around. I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and again, he was like, "How the f- did you get in here?" And I was like, "He's like, did you see that huge guy over there? Didn't he stop you?" I was like, "You just go like lock the door or something, man." Right. So he was like, "Well, whatever. Like, I guess you're not going to blow the place up. So, yeah. like, let's go." And yeah. so he takes me backstage and he's introducing me to people, and I'm like. This is the coolest thing ever, and I was like, "They have a sound guy. They know how to. Do, they know how to throw an event. <laughs> this is great." Like, guys, you have mics and a sound guy. You guys have this all together. <laughs> you guys are really crushing yeah. this. And so, yeah, it was amazing. And this was this was 2014. This was um, this is when Anderson Pack was opening for Watsky in 2014. So I was just like, "This is wild." He introduced me to their photographer and and the whole band and all of this, Jeez. and I was just like. Like, I need to be doing this. This is so cool. And then I sat and I got to watch the show from backstage and everything. And I was like, what I realized during during my semester abroad was because I couldn't speak Spanish, music was this international language mm-hmm. that you could cross-culturally communicate via music. And I was like, this is really neat. And it was super inspiring and, and super amazing to be able to see this one guy on stage controlling 2,000 people all mm-hmm very intensely paying attention and he's a spoken he's not only a hip-hop artist but he's a, he's a spoken word poet so it's not just the music it's his it's him and his performing abilities and i was like dick like how do we how do i do more of this like yeah. how do our events <laughs> with our 75 people and no sound guy and no mics how right. do we get to this level and so i left left that night and i was like this is this is it and so then that was beginning of senior year. I think it was over winter break. One of my best friends from high school had moved out, out to California and I had told her I was going to come and visit her for, for winter break. And when I was out there on my way uh, back to the airport, when I was leaving, I showed up at Kevin's office in LA. And again, he was like, how did you get in here? Oh my God. <laughs> I was just, but you have to just lock the door. Like, this is not a hard not concept. Yeah. I'm not like... Did you sneak into his office as well? Well, the way that like the steel wool office is laid out is like, it's pretty like pretty open. (laughs) And when I was leaving, and if you leave the skylight open, I mean, it's just fair game. (laughs) All you need is like a grappling hook and a fancy belt. Anybody can get in there. Exactly. Yeah. You just need a winch and a Jeep, you know, to lower you down. You follow a person around for a couple of weeks and you just, you really know all the locations they love. (laughs) You know all their secrets. Got it down. Really, anthropology is just professional creepy. I mean, literally, out. it prepared yeah. you. <laughs> it did for everything you needed. It really did. And so, when I was leaving that day, he was like, "Learner," and he always he always yells at me. I can't imagine why. And <laughs> like, what's up, Kevin? He's like, "What? You can just stay here. You can be my assistant." And I was like, "It is second semester, senior year. I'm in like debt up to my eyeballs at Bryant. I'm not dropping out to mm. be your assistant." I love you, but no. And I left and he was like, whatever, like Rhode Island sucks. So I was like, oh, man, do not come after Rhode Island right nah. now because we sat there and he let me like show him all the local bands that I was working mm-hmm. with. And I was so excited. And I was like, yeah, he's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he pretended to be interested. I don't know if he That's actually nice. was, but he, I mean, he's, I could not ask for a better mentor friend advisor over the last few years but that was yeah second semester senior year and then during that time 
when I was booking shows at home, we started realizing that there was a huge correlation between local music and drawing people into local, smaller local establishments, whether Mm -hmm. it was bars, coffee shops, restaurants. So during my second semester senior year, we got heavily involved with Social Enterprise Greenhouse here in Providence, Mm -hmm. which is a co-working and incubator space uh, in the jewelry district for social impact, social enterprise companies. And through that, started developing a business plan for uh, at the time, it was just called Level, and it was going to be an online booking platform for bars, coffee shops, restaurants, and local musicians hmm. to be able to connect because we had been doing booking dozens of shows for a bunch of local artists and local restaurants, and it started to started to take off a little bit. And so we yeah. were like, okay, what if what does this look like on a bigger scale? And my senior year, we won. Brian had a new venture competition, and so we, I think we won it's like ten grand uh, to start building this online right. platform. So That's I was awesome. Like, this is sweet, hmm. and I'm really really bad at i'm a terrible employee so i kind of realized by that point that i wasn't gonna get a job <laughs> like I gotta, we gotta figure this out uh and so won the new venture competition and so i i remember i told kevin i was like yeah like we're crushing it out here so <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should move to Rhode Island. Maybe you should move I don't know. Island. Things are really happening here. Yeah. So I was like, this is this is pretty rad. So then during that time, that business model just tanked real fast. Oh, <laughs> so bad because online booking model. Yeah, because one, the content was was rough. Uh two, people had no problem calling Lindsay and being like, Hey, we know you, we trust you. We want you to book our music. We're confident in that. It's going to be fine. And from, I had spent a few summers doing door to door sales. So I was very aggressive in that regard. And I was like, no, you're going to pay this band $500, not 50 bucks. Like, are you kidding me? And so like that personal touch to that uh, was great. But when I was involved, when we tried to put that online, it failed because a lot of local bands don't have the content that they need to back themselves up. Right. And even like getting a good recording that's representative of your band and having somebody listen to it is like exactly crazy hurdle. Yeah. Like I, I bet half your bookings, you didn't, they didn't, they had never heard the band before no. they stepped in the door. No, yeah. I just, again, you just sold them extremely hard. Yeah. Mentality has, has paid off. Um, and it has also backfired many times, but a lot of times it's paid off. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that model just failed very, very badly. Um, and also from the restaurateur side of things, they, I mean, they make hundred, I took, I look at, looked at that from an anthropology perspective and interviewed like hundreds of local restaurant owners. And for them, they're making hundreds and hundreds of phone calls every week. So by the time it got to entertainment, they were like, oh man, like, if you want to take care of it, great, but like I'm not going to go online and start right. digging into this and investigating. And if they did take the time to investigate, they were searching these local bands and finding super, super poor quality audio, mm-hmm. video, you know, selfies, crappy videos. And they're like, yeah, I'm not paying $500 for that. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then from the musician perspective, a lot of the musicians that are here, they, you know, they don't want to play crappy cover songs they don't want to be playing sweet caroline in the back of a bar under the tv with the socks games on like that really sucks for them so i was like oh yeah this whole thing this is just bad for everyone so blew through the business plan competition money had a really fancy website that we couldn't do anything with and (laughs) and then pivoted to a different different model where we were doing uh local bands brands and fans and so we had local bands in local unusual spaces whether it was Co-working spaces, hair salons, 
stores, huh. whatever it was. It was wow. using music as a vehicle to mobilize audiences into new spaces. And we were like, this is pretty rad. This is fun. And then we realized that so far sounds exists and they're doing the exact same thing. And they're in 300 and something plus cities across uh. the U.S. So we were, or across the globe. So we were like, yep, well pivot again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's figure that out and then they, it they also, weren't in rhode island yet uh i think point. they they had like just started in, in providence and it was a, yeah. a bunch of brown university students that were like oh yeah like have you heard of so far and we were like oh you mean the thing that we're doing got it <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's not do that and you guys didn't want to i mean you were just kind of like we're not going to compete with that is there something else yeah. we can do sure. yeah and also i mean the guy that started so far is the former cmo of, of disney and and coca-cola oh, it's yeah. like a it's a huge huge entity right. and it just wasn't and their whole thing was like secret underground shows and their marketing their branding everything was on point and we were much more about the being inclusive and getting new people to experience live music to understand the yeah. importance of it and so that there's a little bit of tension there so while all of that was happening i was still sending kevin like all the local music things oh that God. i had and i was like i was like check out this you know this warwick beacon article about us and the cranston herald like, they wrote about the north us. providence valley breeze <laughs> right like we're doing cool stuff man <laughs> so there was what he called me this was probably this like a year after i graduated he called me like learner what's up kev and he was like watsky or he, i remember he called him george <laughs> it's like oh, <laughs> you know <Kev."> george <laughs> Like, oh man, Mr. Ski. <laughs> right? He was like, he's like, George needs help with with a project. Like, can you help him? Like, I, what do you mean? Can I help him? I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but yes. And so he was like, all right, I'll connect you guys. And so we started emailing, going back and forth, and we started working together. And so I was doing more assistant type works, whether it was like running his social media accounts or just brainstorming, being like consultant, somewhere between consultant and assistant for a while, and then, uh at one point, he had found out that he was going on, on Warp Tour in 2017, and we were working on booking the tour buses and everything for that. And he was like, well, we have extra beds, and you're useful. You're like a human Swiss Army knife, so why don't you come? And <laughs> right. you can work on – we had a sponsorship with Skull Candy. And he's like, you can manage the content for that. And, like, when shit hits the fan, like, you got this. So I was like, yeah, let's do that. Before I could even like think about it, my fingers were like, yes, send, done. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, went on Warp Tour with them. And what happened was the tour manager that we had actually ended up, uh, she got fired after a few weeks. And that ended up being the problem that we, <laughs> we had to solve. And they were like, Lindsay can do it. She's organized. And I was like, why is no one else organized? Why is like, oh man, I didn't realize this was such a skill. Okay. Is it because everyone else is musicians? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably like this, part of it. I guess so. <laughs> so I was like, okay, better get the planner out. Let's do this. And so I ended up tour managing for the remainder, like six, seven weeks that we were on, on Warp Tour. And it was just oh, wild because it was us. And it was just so surreal too because it was like this – artist who i had looked up to for so long and admired for so long and we're on the bus and we've got you know it's me and 11 boys on this ginormous tour bus mm. and camila who's watsky's singer who is saving grace of the day mm -hmm. um and yeah just like the 13 of us on this bus it was us and and we shared a bus with futuristic and his his crew and it was just it was insane because you're going there's 40 41 shows 52 days twenty thousand miles of driving and we're just like 
this is what this is so cool <laughs> but also exhausting and also i don't know what i'm doing and so, <laughs> so as that's happening right before i had left we had actually i had been looking for probably a year for a commercial space because while i was working with watsky i realized that there wasn't necessarily yes as talented and amazing as i think he is there's not necessarily a talent difference between him and a lot of the local musicians that we work with it was very much a lack of resources when it came to marketing advertising and the quality of content because sure. when you're in los angeles you're in, in new york there's these creative communities where people are constantly communicating and collaborating with each other promoting each other and promoting each other and advocating for each other and we don't necessarily have that culture here i think that we have the raw materials and we're starting to put basically we have the puzzle pieces and we're starting to put something together with that but we haven't had that for a long time and so that light bulb kind of went off and i was like okay so we at that point we had (laughs) we had failed with the restaurant booking and the pr- promoting shows and then we had really failed with the <laughs> with the pop-up shows and there's a whole logistical nightmare with liquor licenses and event permits and, and noise ordinances with all of those things too and so that was just destined for failure and then when we started matchmaking between musicians and local photographers and videographers and studio engineers and connecting the creative community we were like oh this is cool Mm-hmm. And the and music was this great platform where anyone could be involved. And so then from there, I was like, okay, this is great, but we're spending and wasting a ton of money renting out other people's spaces and renting out different facilities for all of this. What if we had our own space? So I had started looking for commercial space a few years ago. And my buddies, Nico and Max, started uh, Farmer Willie's Alcoholic Ginger Beer. And they started uh-huh. brewing uh, and moved their brewing operations here to the Guild. And so they had introduced me to the owners of the guild and they were like, at some point, once you guys are, cause the guild still hadn't been built yet. And they were like, at some point, like you guys are going to need music. Lindsay knows musicians just know each other exists. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I was, this was like a week before warp tour. I was packed, ready to go. And the owners of the guild called and they were like, yeah, we, yeah, we definitely need music. We're like up it's summer music would definitely enhance <laughs> all of this right now right. and i was like oh cool i'm leaving for like three months like, yeah. <laughs> okay. and so like w- thankfully like we've had some incredible interns and people who have helped us over the past four years that have been phenomenal and so the last week before i left we booked music for the entire summer and basically the agreement was if this music thing goes well we will find some sort of square footage for you to build out a thing for when you come back and i was like okay i really hope these people show up so thankfully after spending the previous two three years booking musicians and knowing like who has equipment who doesn't have equipment who knows how to show up on time who won't show up and (laughs) like totally (laughs) getting my butt kicked i was like okay this would be great so we booked music for the whole summer organized it curated it everything went super super well so when i came back they were like cool let's figure out what space you're going to use and so the space that we're in now after like just an excruciating process of fundraising and then had gotten the money in and we were like cool we're gonna build this fortunately my dad's a contractor so that was huge in terms of physically building this space but i basically i gave him a bunch of money and a floor plan and was like see you in two months be back and be right back <laughs> and so i'm like getting pictures of like the space being built while i'm on the on the road with watson <gasps> and a couple other bands that we were uh that we were working with at the time and so it was just wild to come back after a few months 
and have like have walls. Yeah. <laughs> oh like, my goodness, this is wild. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a hell of a story. That's a lot to deconstruct. It's amazing. Yeah, you said the last year, but I mean, there was a there was a four year multi multi year lead up to oh yeah what is Level Exchange today. So I mean, what what's your primary focus with the space right now? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that differentiates us from other music organizations or music companies, especially in Rhode Island, is that we look at art as a business and business as an art, and that was the most difficult thing to convey during fundraising was people were always like, oh, it's music, it's a hobby, it's art, it, you know, it's just we're going to throw money at it and, and hope for the best. And it's like, no, if, if, and that was, that was the biggest struggle when I was at art school was like a lot of the, the students, they could run circles around me in terms of talent. They could kick my butt in every single aspect of art school. And then when I got to Brian, everyone was like, hm, art, like, you don't need that. We have finance, we have accounting, like, <laughs> I'm going to go work at PwC. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not, it's not what we're doing. It's not going to happen. But for me, it was always, it always came down to that. It was that art is a business and business is an art. And the most successful people and companies, I think, are the ones who found the balance between the two. And so that's definitely what we focus on here is growing art into business, whatever that, and defining success, whatever that means for the people that walk in the door. But day to day, we focus on uh, production is our, is our goal, whether it's audio, video, uh, everything in the, in the studio is, is super, super important to us it's not necessarily a it's definitely not a traditional music studio the focus and the reason why everything is in that room with all of the windows is because it's a video focus and we want to be able to work with artists to create high quality portfolio pieces that we can use so we can do our promotion we can do our marketing we can do our advertising but also they can use that as a portfolio as well uh, because i mean they're musicians so they need to focus on on their work and they need to be able to uh they need to be able to create and focus on that. And we essentially want to take care of the rest of it, but also be able to provide the education for the people that are, are looking for it. And so we do a lot of mentoring, whether it's with uh, accountants, lawyers, uh, really any sort of professional services that they may need from simple things from filling out, you know, their tax forms at the end of the year, all mm -hmm. the way through like actually incorporating your band as an LLC in, uh, in the state. And yeah. so that's, those are things that like I want to see more of and that's what yeah. i think that's what motivates me to keep doing this is because i think it would be super interesting what does rhode island look like with the music industry hmm. what do smaller cities that are comparable to providence whether it's a uh, pittsburgh or portland maine or, or burlington or northampton what are those communities that are nearby these larger metropolitan areas that have really killer music scenes they have really killer food scenes what do those hmm. look like with the music industry wrapped into them in a actual uh professional manner not just you know gigging or or right or do, doing doing it for fun which yeah. is, is all great but sure. the the artists that we work with tend to be more serious career oriented musicians right and they don't want to have to i mean it's it's kind of in anything that you love doing usually like the business side of it is the part that you hate to do right <laughs> i mean for you the irony of it is like the business part is the part you you enjoy to do I mean, yeah. you, you enjoy the aspect of bringing it all together sure. but like you're really good at the organization yeah and the people who do <laughs> very organized <laughs> you're extremely organized i just want to re-emphasize all of these things at this point but yeah i mean you know they want to be able to focus on the thing they love not sure. doing social media yeah. and i mean doing your taxes <laughs> even right. figuring that out that's yeah. horrible <laughs> absolutely that's a yeah. big part of it and i think the other thing too with with all of this is the funny thing about all of this is when i got to bryant i distinctly remember that i had to 
fill out we had to pick out our major we had to pick out our minor and i knew i wanted to be global studies because it was like one of the only interesting non-business things at bryant and i was like screw business this sucks i'm never i'm never gonna need this <laughs> now i'm like man i really should have paid attention in accounting uh, <laughs> but i remember that on their form that they gave you, one of the minors was entrepreneurship. I didn't even know what the word was. I couldn't spell it. I couldn't pronounce it. And I remember asking my friend and I was like, yo, do you know what this word is? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I don't know. No, it's I spelled know. Uh, L-E-R-N-E-R. <laughs> Spanish for. <laughs> it's pronounced or, la- Lerner. <laughs> Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. There we go. But yeah, so it's just, it's, it's interesting to see how everything has come kind of what feels like full circle now. There is, there is this, uh, kind of word that keeps coming to mind, sure. uh, throughout your whole story, which is persistence. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember actually after that first phone call that I had with, with Kevin, we had had a conversation and I had said, oh man, I, I guess I annoyed the right person. And mm-hmm. he was the one that told me. It's persistence. It's mm. Fine line between <laughs> persistence and annoyance. Yeah, but you're figuring it out. Is <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> okay? It's amazing too that he's like, he kind of said, "Okay, I guess oh, this yeah. is happening at some point." He's yeah. amazing. He's wonderful, and it's just it's to me it's still like very 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 surreal to now when I am out in Los Angeles. First of all, like. Who goes being to LA? Out right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is weird. But also like being able to navigate, no knowing my way around things quite a bit. Yeah. And then like crashing at his house that's in like the Hollywood Hills in California. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Looking out over like the infinity pool. I'm like, what in the world? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. It's definitely it's wild. Not my lifestyle at all. But mm. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's a that's an important characteristic in this industry or in what you're doing to be persistent? Or do you think it's just oh, kind yeah. of the, the angle that helped you? Or, yeah. it, well, it definitely helped me, but I also have noticed across the board that the people who it's, it's showing up a mm. lot of people, especially in the music industry, especially in the, in the creative, creative world. I think people think that talent is going to get them right. to the, the tippity top, but I've seen people who, are significantly less talented than other people, but people who are willing to outwork other yep. people that, and I think they, they deserve it because they are, they're out, they're, they're out there and they're working their butts off to, to get there. But I think, uh, like I said, a big part of it is showing up. It's not just talking and sending emails. It's physically showing up and, and being there. And I think that's honestly what made the difference with, with Kevin all of those times. If, I mean, I sent him, like I said, an embarrassing amount of, of emails. More that, than three, that didn't get me less anywhere. than a thousand. <laughs> Maybe. No, <laughs> 999. What I don't fully uh, grasp yeah. is why the community in Rhode Island so, sees yeah, music and art as such like a, just a side thing. Or I mean, obviously lots of people devote their whole lives to it, but they, they see it as like, a, like you said, like a nonprofit. They don't see it right. as a business. W- what is the mentality there? Like what? Because I mean, you, you see also like tons of artists making tons of money and, right. and like, like there is definitely a business. There's like music sweatshops, right? Like, right. so, yeah. so why? K-pop. In a... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, why do you think it, it's that way here? And, and how do you change that mindset? Sure. I'm not necessarily sure why it is that way here. I do know that Rhode Island has one of the highest per capita nonprofits out of every state in the U.S., which is what there's there's over like eight thousand 
in a state of 1.1 million people. <laughs> like it's very aggressive. And a lot of it is a lack of communication, I think. And because a lot of the organizations are doing the same things and there's not a lot of, there's a lot of competition. There's not a ton of collaboration. I think people we're moving towards a better space where people are collaborating more, which is amazing. Uh, especially that's one of our goals is to create more collaboration across all of the people that are doing things in, in music for sure in throughout the state, whether it's recording studios or venues or anything, because we're all doing the same thing <laughs> and we should all be communicating about it. So we're not in competition with each other, especially with events and things, things like that. Again, there's only so many people here to go to events. So right. <laughs> there's no point. To, you got a million people. Yeah. There's no <laughs> point to host, you know, some crazy event on the same exact night as somebody else when we could work together to promote them separately. But anyway, uh, there's that. I think that also there's a lot of larger macro issues as to why Providence in Rhode Island has fallen to the wayside in terms of being a destination for larger touring musicians. And that's because Live Nation owns essentially everything. <laughs> Ticketmaster, like every venue that you go to has some sort of Live Nation affiliation. And they're one of the big behemoths of, of the music industry. And right in their contracts, every single time that an artist plays a show in Boston, in that contract, it says that they can't play a show either within 30, 60, or 90 days and 30, 60, 90 miles. Usually usually it's that 60, 60 day, 60 mile mark. So that mm. automatically nixes Providence. Yeah. So that's why when you see your favorite touring band, they're playing Boston, they're not playing here. Or right. they're playing, they'll play Hartford and they won't play here. Yeah. Um and, so that's, and the thing is, like someone like me, I will go and see them in Boston right. and I will come see them in Providence. Sure. But from a big Live Nation perspective, yeah, they look at matter. they look at Rhode Island, they look at Providence as this not even like a B market. They're like C, D market. <laughs> We're right. like, eh, we don't we don't need those million people. Yeah. They they think that we will all go to Boston right. when a majority of Rhode yeah. Islanders won't leave. No. Five minutes, never mind. <laughs> yeah, fifty miles. Fifteen Boston's minutes. Scary. Packing a lunch, packing snacks, cooler, ready to go. We went to go see my wife and I went to go see a show at Fat mm -hmm. not too long ago, and we ran into so many people who came down from Boston sure. to come. That see would happen, band. right? It, which is you know kind of unbelievable to me, but it's one of those things. Of like Providence, in a lot of ways, is actually kind of, is a wonderful destination for people to actually come to because it's a bite-sized city. Like any place you stay is going to be pretty much in walking distance or right. like scoot scoot distance yep. from where you need to get to. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's like, it's, it's kind of like a perfect little, like, I don't know, just like nugget of a city yeah. oh, without to a do doubt. this stuff in. And, it's and like, that's why, why we're here. Yeah. It's like, why don't, <laughs> why don't people get this? Right. I mean, yeah. That's I've, what we've, and then there's also, there's been issues historically in terms of, I think a big part of when you're on tour and having been on tour for the past few years, I think the biggest part of it is the hospitality when you're going to these cities mm -hmm. because there's mm -hmm. the artist, obviously, when you're at that level, isn't actually booking the tour. It's up to the agent. And so if that agent or that promoter has a bad experience with a particular city, he's like, eh. We're not going to go back there. <laughs> and I think his what I've heard out of all, again, from like an anthropology research perspective is a lot of the conversations I've had with people, I'm like, oh, this is why. This is the way it is. And a lot of those conversations have been around the hospitality aspect of things. So a lot of booking agents and managers and promoters have been booking here and they've had really, really terrible experiences and they don't want to come back. And it's not necessarily – because the experience is that bad it's because they've had such great experiences because there's such big music industries in other cities so then when they come here there's rhode island people who are like we're kicking ass we're doing great 
but it's because they haven't been on the road and they haven't experienced what it's like to be in other places. So yes, where the bar is great for where they're at, but compared to where these musicians are coming from or where these these bands and these these crews are coming from, it's it's not that great. Yeah. <laughs> and so our goal has been, and Jenna, uh, who you met earlier, what she's been doing a phenomenal job with has been reaching out to touring bands and being like, hey, we're here. We are legitimately two seconds off of 95. Yeah. Pull off. <laughs> yeah. Come in. <laughs> Visit. <laughs> and then because we spent so long booking at bars, coffee shops, restaurants, doing pop-up shows in all of these different coffee shops or bagel shops, whatever it is, donut shops across yeah. the state, all of those local people are super, super down to hook up musicians. So PB yeah. Donuts gives us, hooks us up all the time, Providence Bagel, Borealis Coffee, anything that we need. They're like, oh, musicians are coming? Hell yeah. So they not only get to come in, they get to experience a little bit of our culture, a little bit of our scene here. And it's right off the bat, they're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to go tell my friends. Right. <laughs> so then that's our like, this is, you know, this is going to be, we're not going to see the impact of this for at least, at least two, three years, if not probably five years of what yeah. that actually look like, looks yeah. like. But bringing those people in and, and creating those positive experiences and then really thinking about it from the musician perspective. So you've taken this very principled and value-driven, mission-driven approach to how you, you're basically packaging up what level exchange is for Providence and the <laughs> difference that you hope to make. Yeah. What was kind of the turning point in your mind earlier on that said, I'm the person that needs to make this happen? I think it was honestly just when I had come back from that semester abroad and started booking shows and events here, just the massive amount of people that wanted to work with us just because we weren't going to screw them over. And I was just like, what? Like, I can't even, why would you do that? And in my mind, it's always been that everything had to be fair, no matter what. And how do you make it fair? And I think that combined with working out of social enterprise greenhouse where their whole mission is to be able to do well and do good, do well financially, but also do good for your community. That really, really stuck. And that's what I think was the good middle ground for me between art school and business school was that land of social enterprise and social impact. It was like, Oh, what? So if, if the music industry had a baby with social enterprise world, what does that look like? <laughs> how can we move forward in that regard? How can you be creative and, and make money? And how can you sustain yourself off of that? Not just, you know, be a one hit wonder and, and then blow through your, your, your dollars after that. It's like, what does it look like to create a sustainable career off of what you're actually passionate yeah. about? It's yeah. amazing. Awesome. So I think we are, we want to make sure to honor your time and yeah. say thank you so freaking much. For yeah, having us here. This is really sweet. Yes, for coming. This yes, is good great. to be here. Um, I love what you guys are doing too. Oh, I can't yes. wait to like see it keep going. Oh, it's gonna, oh, yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna uh, get somewhere. <laughs> I love it. We're not gonna stop, so we're not gonna <laughs> just stop. show up, man. Yeah. Um, JP, do you have one final question? No, I'm gonna let you uh, let you close it out. You're gonna, all right. Are you sure? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I well, no, I don't. I don't. Good. I'm good. We'll talk more in the future. It's good. Absolutely. Yeah. What is your most important quality that helps you build the new world for this next generation of musical entrepreneurs? My most important level exchange's most important quality or personal your quality? Your personal quality that you bring into the mix. 
I'm torn between a few answers, but I think. Just tell us all. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the persistence piece is definitely probably number one. Yeah. <laughs> you are persistent. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a huge part. But I think that that is so much ingrained in me now that that's not something that I think about. For me, it's if there's a problem, we're going to solve it. And that to me is like my top strength, I think, is problem solving is because there is there is no option to not not figure it out like we're gonna we're gonna figure it out whatever it is uh and i think also just the mindfulness aspect is always very very important to me in everything that happens here and i think that being grateful for the experiences that we've been able to to tackle here has been amazing and reminding people of that and being able to remain level-headed while problem solving because i mean so many things go wrong here all the time every time every time we turn the computer on we're like we're gonna record something as you guys know this is a this is a relatively simple setup to record a podcast we're we're in there recording a 10-piece band and all of a sudden this doesn't work we're tripping breakers this this cable's broken the computer's not working whatever and everyone starts panicking and they're losing their minds and i i walk in i'm like guys we work in music no one's gonna die we're okay (laughs) like this is a privilege to be able to be in a place where you know, however many hours a week we're working on this, hundreds of hours a week that we're working on this, like <laughs> we're here and we're doing this. Like it's going to be okay. If it doesn't work, like in my mind, I always operate in what's the worst case scenario. And to me, it's it's morbid. But like to me, it's like at the end of this, like no matter what we do, we're going to die. So how can we make the best of this? <laughs> like, let's figure this out. Yeah. And your goal is for that end to not happen at the end of your recording session exactly. later on in life. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so until that point. Until that let's point. Let's figure it out. It's awesome. So you're an optimist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, incredible. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. It's amazing. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to You Can Do It, Do It. We had a lot of fun talking this week with Lindsay Lerner, and we hope you did too. You can find the show notes for this episode and learn more about Lindsay and Level Exchange at youcandoitdoit.com. We'd really appreciate if you gave us a review on iTunes as well and let us know what you think of the show. Also, our theme song, as always, is provided by Night Swim, so thank you to them. Uh, The title of the song is called Fiji, and you can find it wherever great songs are sold. Thanks. Have a good week. Bye.